Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. I am so freaking excited about this episode with Kara Goucher that I'm not going to totally bore you with any DeBoom small talk today. My life's boring compared to Kara's anyway. So here's the deal. I first met Kara in person maybe like three or four years ago on the rally sport pool deck while we were standing around in bikinis while our kids were swimming. Um, had nothing to do with our own physical activity. (laughs) Kara had just moved to Boulder and was back in the groove of professional racing after having a baby a few years prior. So for those of you who do not know Kara Goucher, she is a highly decorated distance runner, one of the best runners in America for over a decade. Uh, She's been running since grade school, but she really started to tap into her potential after college moving up in distance, running first the 5,000 and 10,000. She made the finals in the 2008 Olympics. And eventually she hit the marathon, as many runners do, (laughs) um, earning a 10th place finish in the 2012 Olympics. And she kept running. And this is all like while having a baby and being married to another running legend who was sort of like on the other side of his racing career as she was going up her career ladder. So this is all like just a lot, a lot of life going on. Um, She just barely missed the Olympic team in 2016. It was very heartbreaking to watch her marathon fourth place finish. Um, And since then, she has begun to see her career in a different light, which I think you're really going to hear today. Her goals today are very different than even three years ago. She is much more focused on living a happy life, fully present in the moment. So I have to tell you a funny story. Um, After the interview, we were standing around in my kitchen, just like shooting the shit for a while. And I realized that, you know, we're standing, I was starting to get really hungry because I'm always getting hungry. And it'd been a couple hours since I'd eaten and we were talking for so long. So I grabbed a couple cuties, you know, those little oranges. And I was like, hey, you must need one of these. And she was sort of like, um, no, I don't, I don't do that. Or some like sort of awkward mumbled rejection. And so we kept talking, but in my head I was like, does she like not trust my oranges? You know, is she a germaphobe? Uh, does she not eat? Like what the heck was that? Who, who doesn't eat a cutie? So it was kind of funny and on my mind. So later that night I texted her and I was like, what's up with the oranges? Was it me? She kind of laughed back on text and was like, no, I honestly, like, I just don't like oranges. Like I've never liked oranges ever since I was a kid. 
So here I thought I was like grossing her out or our house was too dirty or something, but it turns out she's human just like all of us with quirks and the occasional awkward social moment and everything. Cause she probably could have just told me that in the kitchen, but instead she was like, uh, no, I don't, I don't do that. It's funny. <laughs> um, so my biggest regret as I reflected on this interview is that I didn't get to know Kara sooner. I could have. You know, I just didn't, I didn't reach out. Um, I love this woman. She is fun, real, insightful, compassionate, and deeply truthful, even when you can see it hurts. She lives by her values, and when she feels something is amiss, she fights hard until she resolves the issue and she can find that peaceful alignment again. I highly respect that. But it wasn't always that way for her. And, you know, she's fought battles just like all of us with self-esteem and confidence, and she still does. And I'm excited to share her story with you today. We cover so many topics from racing to motherhood to self-esteem to marriage issues to body image and more. I just, I know you will find yourself wanting more Kara. That's what it's going to be, hashtag wanting more Kara. Um, you'll be happy to know that she is offering her podium retreat in September in Boulder so you can actually get more Kara. Uh, so we'll keep an eye out for that and let you know. And um, she's also coming out with a book. It's a confidence journal. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's going to be available in August. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. I can't wait, wait to get my hands on it. So I'll keep you posted on that too. But before we dive in, I want to share a little bit about my sponsor, Health IQ. As you know, I choose to align myself with people and companies that share my values. And one of my values is a priority on health and fitness. And another value is on not being afraid to try new things. So Health IQ was founded by a visionary who saw that people who had a higher chance of living longer because they live healthy lifestyles were not getting better rates on health on life insurance, which you'd think they should right? So he, uh, he went ahead and started a company called Health IQ that helps people like you and me find better life insurance rates by using science and data to prove that they live healthy lifestyles. So what they can do is when you contact them, you go to healthiq.com backslash RTW, stands for Run This World, so they'll know I sent you. Um, they'll look up your results on Athlinks, or you can send them your Strava or fitness tracker activity. I've gone through the process, and it was so easy. So if you have an interest in securing life insurance, I, I honestly didn't until after I had Wilder and suddenly I felt more urgency for my family's financial future. <laughs> ha ha, that's what kids do. So if you feel this, please go over to healthiq.com backslash RTW, check them out and uh, definitely tell them I sent you so they know that's how you found them. All right then, on that note, let's get Kara on the show. So this is awesome. This Thank is you great. for coming out. You're welcome. I love it. Thanks I think I, I first ran into you uh, when you and Adam moved back, like, and you were at Rally at the Pool once, like, a couple summers ago. Yeah. 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 So you haven't been back here for, what, less than two years? No, we moved back in January of 14. Oh, okay. So we've been here four years. <laughs> okay, time flies. Time, time, really, <laughs> time flies. really flies. And a lot of life happens in four years. Yeah, I mean, our lives are so different than four years ago. So, Yeah. So tell me how, like why, what's different? 
just Adam has a full time job. He doesn't stay at home and run with me anymore. Um, we so wait. <laughs> before he was like a man of leisure. A little bit. I mean, he had an office in our house in Portland, and he would go in there and try to work. Um, but, you know, Colt would be home, and he'd be going in and out of the office and all that good stuff. So, And he ran with me a lot, so we don't do that anymore as much. Well, and we can back it up even a little further because, like, we're talking flippantly about your husband, right? Like some guy who just hangs out <laughs> yeah. at home. But, like, yeah. I didn't know you back in the day. I knew about your husband. Yeah, of course. When yeah. you guys were youngsters at CU, and he was, like, on this incredible trajectory of mm-hmm. a career. Were yeah. you guys together at that point? We got together when he was out of college. So we started dating my junior year of eligibility. So, yeah. We got together, like, as his professional career was taking off, basically. You know, and I this is one of the topics that I definitely want to talk about today because a lot of what sports bring us is relationships, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Friends, all that good stuff. Growing up, you're like, I couldn't live without my friends on the cross-country team, you know? Yeah. But then they may, if we're lucky, bring us our love relationships too. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's interesting because you guys got together through running, but your careers have peaked at totally different times. Yeah. No, yeah. How do you navigate that? That wasn't great. You know, like we always <laughs> wanted to be on top together, running our best together. And that's just not the way it worked out for us as I started to come on more and um, learn my body better, like his was starting to break down. So we had that we had did meet one we had a goal of being on a world championship cross country team together which we did what year was that um 2006 uh be on a world championship track team together which we did in 2007 but then our big goal was to be on an olympic team together and that didn't happen we both made the olympics but never at the same time but you know it's really at least you had something and time gives you that yeah you know when you're in it you're like oh this kind of sucks because you want to be happy for each other Mm -hmm. but one of you is sort of falling down the other side of the mountain the other person's climbing up at least you had a little crossover we did have crossover and you know we did go through some hard times especially as my career was taking off more but even when my career was sucking at the beginning i still traveled with him and i went everywhere you know i was always like his his credentialed coach at the world champs or whatever and i traveled with him and then vice versa when our careers flip-flopped he he was always with me you know he's hanging out with me at the marathons going and grabbing my coffee being with there with me so even though we didn't get to perform necessarily the way we wanted together we always got to be really really involved in each other's careers well and i think i remember reading an article where you said it was one of your first marathons or maybe chicago one year or it was a half marathon and adam showed up at mile one because he ran the whole way on the sidewalk faster <laughs> than you to cheer you on and give you splits yeah he's crazy <laughs> he he's done that for many road races where he has run all out or now he'll like bike and like i'll run by him he'll give me splits like in a half marathon and I'll think, oh, I'll see him at the finish. And then I'll see him two miles later. And I'm like, how are you here? Like, I'm running super fast. <laughs> like, how did you get here? But yeah, he'll just like kill himself to get around and give me information. And I love that because he knows the information I want, you know, and because he's been there himself. Yeah. Well, and you talk about some of the hard times. Like, I think we'd be remiss not to like dig in a little bit because this is the, this is the stuff, you know, yeah. this is what people deal with on a daily basis and they think they're all alone in their problems and 
Um, I can relate completely because uh, Tim and I also had, you know, professional careers and I watched his career kind of go down the other side when I was on more of a, a acceleration, mm-hmm. you know, and um, that's really hard. I will tell you, and Tim is fully on board with like, hey, we're open books now. Like we were almost broken up mm-hmm. at, at least one point during one of those kind of transitions, Yeah, you know, and I just wondered like how, how hard was it? Did you guys hit a point where you're like, I don't know if we're meant to be together anymore? We definitely had rough time. Um, you know, like first of all, when your career is not going the way you want and you can't stay healthy, you're just miserable anyway. And it was such a conflict because Adam missed the Olympic team, but then I just made my first Olympic team and I just won my first national title. And he wants to be happy for me, but he's also devastated because he just yeah. did everything he could to make the Olympic team and he finished sixth and you have to be in the top three. And so navigating that was hard then getting to the olympics and he wasn't allowed to be anywhere i was where before we were roommates we roomed together at the world champs and we you know we were always together all of a sudden he can't get into the village he can't get into the practice track and he started to feel really ostracized and it just started to have like friction between us because i was like i need you to be happy for me i need you to be here like this is the biggest stage i've ever performed on and he's like i can't even get to you you know so yeah. it was really hard and i think that carried on for a while after and he felt like you know because i think in osaka in 07 when i won a medal at the world championships that's when all of a sudden i went from being adam's wife to being kara and that was the beginning of the change of like all of a sudden all decisions were based around what I needed and what I wanted. And that wasn't necessarily bad, but it was just such a change before we were always, it was always us, 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 or Adam, and then us, and then it was about me. And so it was just like a lot of navigating those feelings of like him feeling like, hey, I'm still here. I don't want to be left behind. And me feeling like I want to be able to spread my wings and, you know, like finally meeting in the middle of the understanding of it's okay for me to you know, like make money. It doesn't make you less of a man. Or I also need to understand that you're grieving the end of a career that you've loved and put so much into. And just because I'm on a high, like you're still feeling that. So it was really hard. I'm not going to say like, oh yeah. And then we just like hugged and made up. (laughs) Like there was like a lot of rough months where we were both like, this is really hard. This is not what we signed up for, but we stuck it out and obviously it was worth it. Did um did you have like the communication skills to say to him like I need you to be happy for me right now and I understand that or like yeah I mean we hard. got there right okay. so at first it was a lot of passive aggressive stuff totally <laughs> and then finally it was just like this is crazy it, neither of us can live like this and in the end we love each other so much and we just want what's best for each other and I think once we were finally able to really communicate that that's when we started getting better and we started like seeing what each other needed but at first no it was like passive aggressive stuff totally because (laughs) you start to be like well this is what i need and you right but you're not giving me what i need and then you finally step back one day and you're like wait we just both want each other to be happy oh for sure like i just i feel so bad that his career is ending and he is so happy that i'm running well but like we're on just totally different worlds right now and one person is hurting and one person isn't and yeah, we just really need to be aware of each other's needs. And, you know, he, we had a really, really rough time after the 2008 Olympics. But when I ran the New York City Marathon that same year, he surprised me at the end of the race wearing a Mr. Karagoucher t-shirt. 
And he loves that. He is he, like that's just good. <laughs> he is like I the didn't man. know he had it. I finished the race and he was wearing it. And to me, it was like this acknowledgement of like I'm here for you no matter what. You know, like if I have to be in the background, I will be. And that's it meant so much to me. And that's really when we got into a really good groove after that. You know, maybe we should give Adam just one more little kudos because this really isn't about him. Oh, but no. here's the deal. You know, he's moved on. This part, I don't know, like how long this transition took and how gut-wrenching it was for him to find a new passion, but he's got a really cool new project that has turned into more than a project. It's turned into something really cool. So he, you know, he didn't really retire for a long time because he was, he knew he still had more in himself, but he just kept getting dinged up and he's like, well, I'll stay home and help out with Colt a little bit and keep trying to come back. And in, when I was pregnant with Colt, he wrote a book called Running the Edge with his best friend, Tim Catalano. Mm -hmm. And at first they were like talking at expos and then they made training plans and they they were kind of finding their way with what it is they wanted to do. But then they started Run the Year, this challenge in 2015. That was the first year they did it. And that really took off. Um, They had 20,000 people, over 20,000 people sign up the first year. The very first year. The first year. Like how did it take off? It was crazy. Like they had a goal of having 2,000 people sign up. And it was like, oh my gosh, there's more people signing up. I mean, we were at my mom's for Christmas and he was like, oh my God, Kara, there's 10,000 people that signed up for this. And it just kept going and going. And they actually stopped promoting it because they were like we don't they didn't it's just them they you don't know, know how they to even support and these people. emails coming in and like thousands of emails and and they were just totally overwhelmed so it's become this incredible community and they're really proud of it and he really loves it and so it's funny how it was kind of like this thing they threw out there and that's really what their company has become and what their missions become because it really was sort of just like a let's just challenge people to do this but yeah he loves it now and they are doing great they're like really helping so many people and what a cool thing for you to watch because you see the person you love so much stumble Mm -hmm. and suffer beat himself up try again and again he's not there and Mm -hmm. then suddenly eventually just by maybe following his heart and writing a book yeah something great happened honestly for me it's made me less scared of what happens when i'm not fast anymore you know because it's like adam is doing great adam is still touching lives and he's he's able to be with us a lot and it's not as scary to think like oh well if you can't run fast then who are you you know i mean it sounds so stupid but those are the thoughts we have as athletes like your whole identity is wrapped up in being fast and winning titles and winning medals and when that's gone like who are you i mean like there is some fear in that like who am i if I can't run fast anymore. But seeing Adam go through that, it really made it less intimidating. Well, we're giving him a big virtual hug. Okay. And we'll <laughs> yeah. tell people to sign up for, uh, is he's got a challenge going on this year, right? Yep, they have run the year 2018. And All then right. they'll also have the marathon, which is another challenge that they mainly focus on in July. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, enough about Adam. Okay. okay. <laughs> Moving on. So, um, but what's really cool is you've already gone through a redefinition. Remember, you were Adam's wife. Yes. And then you became Kara. Mm-hmm. And Adam became your husband. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, uh, so, so you talk about like being less scared about what happens when you don't run fast anymore. Mm-hmm. Like there's a whole bunch of words in there I want to pick apart because like the word fast A lot of people listening can't relate to that word, but who would they be if they couldn't run anymore? Right. You know, so there's a lot of levels here. So are you kind of in the middle of like this, who am I now phase? Or are you still kind of feeling defined as a, as an elite and pro runner? 
I, I don't it? wake up and think like, who am I? What am I doing? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every day I have a purpose and I go and do it. But I definitely... Well, wait. What yeah. is that purpose? It's just living my life, being really present, especially in my son's life. Still, I still love to train so much, and I'm still curious of what I can get out of my body. But I'm, I, I'll admit it, I'm not as willing to live the strict lifestyle anymore. If Colt wants to go ride bikes in the afternoon, I'm going to do that rather than run a double. I'm going to go volunteer instead of taking a nap. Like I just, my priorities have shifted, and it, it doesn't make me better or worse. It's just, it's just a different life. So when did the priority shift? I think, you know, I was so, so wanted to make the team for Rio and I didn't make it and I was just devastated and I didn't take time off. It came back and started training right away to try to make the 10K team. And I was doing like track workouts and started doing plyos and I injured my knee and I got a cortisone shot in and I tried to run through it. And finally it was like, I can't run through this anymore. And so I had a torn meniscus and when he went in to clean it up, he was like, you don't have any cartilage left. And he was like, I don't know if you're ever going to run again. And this was in um, May of 2016. And I mean, I was devastated. And I... So you had like a double devastation. Yeah, it was just like, I mean, at first I was in denial, you know. I was just like, no, 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 that's crazy. How could I never run again? Running's what I do. I didn't lose cartilage overnight. You know, obviously it's been gone or it's been deteriorating for a while. And I just was in denial but I mean I had the surgery and my knee still hurt so bad and I couldn't do anything so then I turned to swimming and I didn't get the same feel from that and I that was probably one of the hardest times in my life was the summer slash fall of 2016 I just felt really confused of who I am why this would happen I mean I remember saying to the doctor like I don't care if I race again but I have to be able to run every day I have to be able to run five to eight miles every day and he was just kind of like well I don't I don't know if that's in your future so I had to really let my knee heal up because it had been bone on bone. The bone was really affected. And then I really slowly started coming back and getting these like knee injections of like joint lube basically yeah. every six months and just slowly, slowly coming back. And last year I still was, you know, head against the wall. Like I'm going to qualify for world champs and I'm going to do this and that. And it just was unrealistic. Women were running too fast. I had taken so much time off. It was the biggest break of my life. And I kind of like pumped the brakes on everything and just was sort of like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, why am I leaving my family all weekend to train? Why am I upset all the time? It's not, it's not bringing me joy anymore. I, I'm like upset all the time. So yeah. And then there was a combination. I had some illness this past fall, um, which turned out to be allergies, but, um, I really just stopped running. I mean, I would run, but I would run like only four or five miles a day. And I would go to like Orange Theory and I was just doing all this stuff that I never ever would do. I was like visiting my family more and it was awesome and it was really healing. And it was like, wow, there's life. You know, like if Apple invites me to go somewhere, I'm not gonna stress about training, I'm gonna go. If Sally wants me to come up to Seattle, I'm gonna go. And it really was like, wow, there's so many other things that are fun and fulfilling in my life rather than just training for this one goal, you know? And and that's okay that people are focused on that goal. I don't wanna say it's not because that was my life and my life was very fulfilling for years. But I've just sort of, it, yeah, stepped away from it a little bit. So what was the fulfilling factor? You know, you, you were training for a goal that was your 
purpose. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you're faced with, I might not be able to do this for the long term in my life. So Mm -hmm. what was it about branching out or opening yourself that fulfilled you? I mean, to be totally honest, when I couldn't run, I still, I was never happy. It was once I started to run again, not not competitively, but just that movement and that feel of my body against the pavement and that connection, even though I wasn't racing or even close enough fit to be racing, I was so happy. And I was like, wow, I'm really happy. And I don't have a race on the calendar and I'm not even thinking about a race, but I'm like appreciating the running that I have. And I'm happy. I'm enjoying all these other things. I'm enjoying hanging out at the rally pool with Colt. I'm enjoying with like going and picking up his friends. And I'm enjoying with uh, like helping Adam with stuff at Around the Edge. And and I'm like genuinely happy. And I didn't know before that I could feel that way. I know that sounds so crazy, but I didn't know if I wasn't trying to do something big with my running, if I could really be happy. I totally can understand where you're coming from. And not only that, but like you had kind of been hit with some really just brutal, like you said, devastations that are all, you know, relative, Mm -hmm. right? You didn't make the team by so little. And I remember watching you after the trials in 2016, right? For Rio. When were trials though? They were in February. Yeah. And, um, and, but this was part of your shifting life. You Mm -hmm. were like, you know, my kid got sick. I'm Mm -hmm. a mom. Like, what are you supposed to do? I know athletes who would leave their family for six months because of their self-pursuits, which right. are valid, and that's their own decision. But you were beyond that. You're not going to leave your family for six months. No way. You're not going to hug, like, not hug your kid. No. I mean, you know, like, looking back, should I have gone to a hotel for the month leading up to the trials? Would it have given me a better shot? Maybe. I mean, I got the flu. I haven't gotten the flu in years (laughs) and I got the flu 10 days out from the Olympic trials. So, I mean, I couldn't even get out of bed, but in the end I wouldn't, the way I'm wired, I still wouldn't run well because I would just be missing Colt and I'd be missing Adam. And I'd be like, it's just not worth it. You know what I mean? It's worth it to like have the nanny take him to do stuff and to rest more. That that part was a trade-off that I was willing to do. Have someone else pick him up from preschool. Have someone else take him to preschool. But not tuck him in at night, that's not a sacrifice I was ever willing to make. I mean, I brought him with me everywhere. I took him to every training camp I ever went to. And that's just the way I'm wired. And, you know, maybe I would have been a better runner if I would had been able to leave him. But I don't think I would have because I think I just always would have been thinking about what I was missing. I also think that you're making the mark on your mark on the world in a different way. People are watching this and they're seeing that side of you and that's changing people's lives too. Making the team versus not making the team, like yeah, that affected you, but maybe not making the team affected more people because they saw, you know, the the priority shift and that you could see there was a, a greater world out there and I think it's freaking phenomenal mm-hmm. and i'm sorry you didn't make the team oh thanks <laughs> thank you <laughs> because you know it's interesting um i have this little run this world podcast facebook group and i was like what do you guys want to know about kara and there were like too many first of all my printer broke so i had to hand write <laughs> them all all these people wrote stuff but the biggest thing that kept bubbling up to the surface was she's so real like is that real is her realness real <laughs> so i thought the things we've been talking about are real. Like, yeah, this is- I mean, I am just like an emotional person, right? I ran for a group once and they would always tell me, don't cry. Don't 
don't do interviews when you're emotional. Get a one-liner in your head and we would practice. We literally practice what a response would be. But then like a microphone would go in my face and I'd start crying, talk, talk about something else, you know? And I used to see it as a weakness, like that it held me back from being as good as I could be. But after a while, I just sort of embraced it. And maybe I'm not tough enough to be an Olympic champion. I don't know. But I know that my life is so full because people have reached out to me and like have connected with me, whether it's like through social media or just in person or coming to a meetup, you know, like, and I don't think they would have done that if they didn't see a vulnerable side. Yeah, that's very true. And you're willing to put it out there. And you know, I, um, I was reading your book, which you wrote a while ago now. Yeah, a long time ago when I was pregnant. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I could see some emotion in it, which is really cool. It's actually a great book. Um, I can put a link to it, but I did see that you have another book coming out at some point. Yeah, it's not it's not a book book. Um, I have a thing that I do called a confidence journal that helps me just navigate life and like, you know, it initially started for training. So I would write in my my training journal every night, but then also my confidence journal. I'd have to find something good about the day. And sometimes it was like, I totally rocked this workout. And some days it was like, the wind was awful and I was tired, but I stayed consistent or whatever, just some, finding something. Now that I'm training less and less, I just have to find something positive about the day. That was like a win, a victory of the day. So it's something I started doing like three years ago. I love this. Maybe even four years ago. And I was talking about it at one of my retreats and one of the women there is a publisher. And so we got together and she's like, let's do this. So it's coming out, I think in August, but yeah. So it's, it has like, you know, I talk in it and stuff, but it's not like a novel or anything. It's really just a journal and a way for people to journal their own confidence. They can have more confidence. I love this. This is going to be part <laughs> of the new direction, the Kara 2.0 or 3.0 <laughs> yeah, yeah. or wherever we are. Um, <laughs> confidence is an important word. Yeah. And I, you know, like, I don't feel very confident a lot of the time. I've always struggled with self-confidence. I've always felt like an imposter. Like I'm standing on the starting line and I'm like, I'm just from Duluth, Minnesota and I don't really belong here. I grew up on like goulash and hot dish and you know, I don't have like, you know, you know, I just have always felt that way. And it's always been an obstacle and I've had to work on it constantly. But I know I'm not the only person that doesn't just wake up and feel like I'm amazing. You know? <laughs> what do you mean? We all do. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's important and you know, that you're not alone and it's to kind of have a daily reminder of like, you know what, you did accomplish this or you did fight through this or whatever it might be. It's important to give yourself a little pat on the back. For me, it was important the night before a race to flip through it and be like, wow, I have done some awesome stuff and I have fought through some really bad stuff. Like I am ready to do this. Well, that's just it. Our whole life is like our little battle wounds all mm -hmm. add up to creating strength, which creates confidence if we get through them. Right. And exactly. we work on them. You know, one thing I learned about you, I, I didn't know, and I don't know if it's come up much in your interviews, was about your dad. Mm -hmm. when, so you were born in New York. Yeah. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And your dad uh, died when you were four. Mm -hmm. And he was he was killed by a drunk driver. He was killed by a drunk driver. Oh, yeah. My God. Do you have memories of your dad? I have like one memory. And the only reason I know it's true is because I can describe the layout of our home. And there's no there's no photos. We had just moved to a home in New Jersey um, right before he died. And I can remember one thing going up the stairs with him into the bathroom. So, but in general, I really don't. You know, I have a lot of photos and it was always really painful for his parents. 
Um, they split their time half the year in Croatia and half the time in the United States, and they didn't really speak English very well. And so I couldn't, I couldn't really get a lot from them. And so it's kind of something that we just sort of like put aside as like just a fact. And then my mother was remarried for a long time. But when I got older, especially um, when I had Colt, I was like, I, you know, he, he died when I was four. And when I was, when Colt was four, he needed me. He knew who I was. He, you know what I mean? And so that, that, that time in my life was incredibly healing and painful because it was just like, he, he definitely impacted my life because I knew at that point if I was gone, it would forever leave a mark on Cole. I mean, that makes me want to cry right now. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, you're really young and, and I already know like our kids are about the same age. Mm-hmm. And if like Wilder wouldn't probably have memories of us or, you know, just something vague or it'd be photos, right? Mm-hmm. But we see their formative selves. Yeah. And imagining our children without a parent is really hard. And you were that child. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that is my greatest fear, that something happens to me before Colt can be on his own. Isn't that brutal? That's my greatest fear. So I mean, think about this. Before, and so your mom, if we go back in time, your mom has you and your sister. My two sisters. My one sister was six, and my little sister was six weeks old. <gasps> Oh my gosh. And, and so she, we were in Minnesota at the time of the accident because she my she we had flown to Minnesota so that my grandparents could meet my sister for the first time and my dad was going to meet us. And so we ended up going back and packing up the house and then moving to Minnesota to be by her parents and they were so important in my child and in my life. I mean they're still alive. They're they're 92 and 93 and they're, you know, they're not amazing. doing amazing right now, but like they have been such a huge part of my life. And yeah, I, I like to focus, you know, like I am sad. And, and, and like I said, as Cole got older, I was like, I need more stories. And my dad's sister was awesome. She just started telling us stories. She started hanging out with us more. And so we've become really close over the last four or five years. But, um, sometimes good things do come from great tragedies. I, how many people are super close with their grandparents? I mean, I could call them about anything, anything. That is so amazing. And I feel like my sisters and I are bonded in a way too. And so of course I'd rather just have my dad be there and not be as close to my grandparents. But I do feel like there was some good things that came from the circumstance. Well, and and one thing that I really took away too is that the strength that your mom had um, was what you had to draw from as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, my mom is very strong and she, you know, what's crazy is that she doesn't run at all anymore, but that's what she used to do. My grandparents owned a restaurant and they would come after shifts and watch us for a little bit and she would go and run and just to relieve her. Like before running was yeah. a thing. Yeah. And she only did like one race. It was never about racing. It was like my grandpa actually got her to race. My grandpa got me into running. Um, but it was more just like, just for her sanity. I need to go and I need to move. My grandpa would run with her and my grandma would stay with us girls. And, you know, my mom, I am very emotional. My mom is not. I always <laughs> knew I was loved, don't get me wrong, but she does not cry. And one of the only times I've ever seen her cry was when I made my first Olympic team. And she was just like, your dad would be so excited. And it was just crazy because she doesn't cry. And she doesn't, yeah. 
Yeah. She doesn't let it out like that. No. Mm-mm. And I'm like, oh, I'm so upset about whatever. <laughs> like, call her about anything, you know? And she's great listener, great, helps me with everything. But that's not the way she's wired. Wow. So, you know, all these things, they all add up to who you are today, which is oh, just yeah. this incredibly strong woman yourself, at least on the outside. But on the inside, you don't always feel 100% confident and you're no. very real and you go through your own struggles like all the rest of us do. Mm-hmm. I know. It's, it's, um, it's just interesting to see the things that become more important as we get older Definitely. and as life changes. So I kind of want to dig into actually become the decision to become a mom because when i was you know thinking back on what your your career and your decision to get pregnant so a lot of people don't make a decision right they just suddenly one day they're like hey i'm pregnant we're having a kid right so they don't think about what kind of kid they want to raise and what they want to do with their lives and what their careers will look like and and a lot of people especially like when our parents were you know younger the women often didn't even have a career. And they didn't have a career where their body was on the line. Mm -hmm. So for you, these are prime money-making years that you're kind of gambling with, right? Yeah. Especially in distance running as you're moving up to marathon and whatnot. So it's a huge decision. Mm -hmm. And I remember you saying in your book, at least, like, I want to do it, but wait, not yet, one more. Mm -hmm. Wait, not yet, one more. Wait, not yet, one more. And Adam was along for the ride. Mm Mm-hmm. I could tell he was disappointed, but he never wanted me to be re- like regretful that I missed something. Yeah. And I kept thinking, I'm ready. I just have to do this and then I'll be ready. And then that didn't happen. And I said, well, I just if I win Boston, then I'll be ready. And then I got third at Boston. I'm like, well, if I win a medal at World Champs, then I'll be ready. And I didn't win a medal at World Champs, but finally it was just like, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm tired of searching for this happiness through a result. And I always wanted to be a mom. And so... It was just like, I mean, I didn't get what I wanted out of world champs. I know everybody thought I was going to turn around and run New York. Everybody thought it. Even my coach thought it. And even Adam thought it. He was like, are you sure you're not going to want to run New York? And I was like, and we were in Berlin. And I was like, I'm done. And I knew I was going to have to go through some fertility stuff. And I had brought the medication with me. And he couldn't believe it. I was just like, I'm starting this. So why would you have to go through that? So I was, when I was younger, not younger, like young, young, but when I was, when Adam and I got married, I went in and I I know that I had, like, don't have this, my hormones don't work the same way. And I have polycystic ovarian syndrome and it's turned now to disease. And so I knew there was going to be some challenges, um, but I just never believed that I wouldn't get pregnant. I mean, I just like always believed it would happen. So we had, uh, so we started treatment right away and we had one so we were doing like injectables um, but we didn't do IVF and we did one round where we got pregnant lost it and then we had a couple other rounds where it just didn't take which was really disappointing Um, and then finally the doctor said I think you might want to think about IVF and so we said okay so we went to the classes and we got ready for it in the meantime I was still doing drugs um, to try to get pregnant and he said well you have one egg it's not that great but I would hate to waste it. What the hell? And that's cold. <laughs> and you know what's so funny is when you're going through fertility treatment, everyone's like, just don't think about it. Don't think about it. But how can you not? You're no. giving yourself shots. That's and it's such like, bullshit. You're, you know, you're you're going to the doctor every two days and having oh like a vaginal God. ultrasound. Oh and like, I my mean, it's God. Like, it's your life. Your life is literally built around it. So it's like, how could you not think about it? But I think that's what happened is we went to Minnesota for Christmas um, I knew we were going to start IVF and I really kind of just chilled out. 
and then and then it happened. It finally happened. I mean, how's this? <laughs> you got one egg. It's not that great. Yeah, you're like, like, I'll take it. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> I think we've kind of missed the window, but um, like it was already a little bit too big. But he's like, it's worth a shot. We could trigger shot it, and you could we could try tomorrow. And I'm like, well, okay. And then when they called, they would always call and say, well, I wish we had better news. I wish we had better news. And when they called, she was like, how are you doing? And right away, the hair on my arm just oh, stood up. Oh, I just up. got it right now. Because I was just like, <laughs> that's not how they lead these calls, you know? Like, they're, they're telling women, dev- like, devastating oh. news. And I was like, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> and she was like, well, I have good news. And I just couldn't believe it. I just oh couldn't believe God. it. Oh, my God. And so all this time, like, there's so many things, though, about getting pregnant and having kids that just drive me crazy. The whole, like, there's never good time to be ready. And you're like, yeah, there is. There's better times than not better times, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. right? Or, uh, come on, just have a kid. It'll be the best thing you ever do. And then you have a kid, and those same people are like, oh, my God, isn't it exhausting? And you're <laughs> like, you told me to you're have like, a you kid. told me to do this. Yeah. yeah. But, like, I mean, this is, there's all kinds of miracles that happen, right? I mean, having a baby, I felt like that. Getting pregnant was a miracle. Because think about your body. You're yeah. a superhero compared to most normal people, <laughs> right? In in running and in sports, right? When you have a baby, you become like truly a superhero. I felt like having Colt made me, I mean, I still have confidence issues, but it was the, like I would always just sit back, take anything. I would take any abuse or any whatever. I hate confrontation. And after I had Colt, it just like changed me. I was just like... No, actually, I'm not going to take that. And no, actually, that isn't right. And and I don't know if it's the hormones or if it's just like the love of protecting this person and wanting to make sure you do everything you can right. But yeah, I mean, like I was running like 100 miles a week and nursing him and racing and running 6830. And I mean, that was the one time I actually had like an anxiety attack because I was running on the treadmill at home on an Ultra G and I had gone to see my doctor and she was like, something has to give. You're running so much you're nursing, like you're, you're on the verge of a nervous breakdown, you know, like something has to give. And poor Adam comes downstairs to our gym and he's like, how was your meeting with Dr. Barrett? And I was like, it was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Started freaking out. And I was like in this bag, thank God, or I probably would have fallen off the treadmill. And he was like, okay, I think it's time to wean. Like you can't do everything. That's you know? true. You were trying to actually be a superhero. Yeah, and it was, I was. <laughs> you were I was trying. like, I'm going to do everything right. Yeah. Colt's going to have everything he needs. And I'm going to also, I'm going to do this. And like there, I was having some issues with my sponsor. So I had to get back to racing. And so it was like, I just have never felt so much pressure in my life, honestly. You know, it's interesting because, um, well, first of all, you just said I had to get back to racing. So mm-hmm. did you have to? Did you? I didn't have to, but I provided for our family at the time, and I wasn't getting paid until I until I ran. Right. And so, and that wasn't the agreement that we agreed to ahead of time. Um, the agreement. Meaning you and who? And Nike. Oh. My yeah. understanding was okay. based on a conversation, you stay relevant, you do the things we ask you to do, and we're going to leave it alone. And all of a sudden, we just stopped getting paid. And I mean, I worked my ass off during my pregnancy. I wrote that book. I was doing appearances everywhere. Had I known, I would have like gone to Minnesota and hung out with my family and seen my friends and built, nurtured other relationships in my life. Um, So anyway, it was just so stressful. It was so stressful. But you talk about like, there's something that changed like when you had Colt and 
maybe it's just that there's no more time for bullshit. Yes. You have another life in your yes. life that's the most important life and, and it's going to take the most out of you than anything you've ever done. Yeah. You consider running a relationship, your marriage is a relationship, all kinds mm-hmm. of relationships, but having a kid, that's your big relationship. Yeah. So there's no more time for bullshit. Yeah, I can't deal with this. Like, no. I just felt like that, you know, it really caused a split between me and my coach at the time and... I was just like, I just, I can't do this. I can't hang around for two hours after practice and shoot this shit. And like, I, I, someone needs me, right? <laughs> I'm I am more than this. Yeah. And it's a perfect excuse yeah. to get out yeah. of situations. Yeah. And it, but it just like that, I never ran with the baby jogger. People are disappointed to hear that, but running was my thing, but I felt like it made me a better mom because I was choosing to leave Colt, which was hard, but then it would be hardcore focus for two to three hours. But then when I got back home, I was all about Colt again. I was super focused on him then. So I feel like it it made me a better runner and a better mom because I was so focused on my running because it was time away from my child. So I'm gonna get everything out of myself that I need in this moment and no dilly dally. Like my teammates were like, you used to be so fun. And I'd be like, are we starting the workout or not? You know. <laughs> Fun's, home. fun's overrated yeah. <laughs> but then when I got home I was like I had already given all I could to running so now I'm just really here and I'm really paying attention and I'm really here for this baby and it's never perfect like people always want to ask about balance well balance it's hard to be 50 50 right like if you're really training hard for something you're sacrificing a little bit with the baby and when you're not training you don't have something on the calendar Running's definitely taking a second to the baby but as a mom, you know, like the baby always wins. I mean, Cole was in the hospital having emergency surgery. I was supposed to go run a race when he was about four months old to stop the clock um, in Arizona, a half marathon. And he had this growth on his neck and we had been watching it, watching it. And finally we take him in to a specialist and they're like, you need to take him to children's. So we take him to children's and they, they put him through the the cat Cassian and mm-hmm. he, they come out and they're like we're going to surgery as a massive we don't know what it is but you know and like all of a sudden it's just your your yeah. life's on hold yeah. I remember my coach being like you need to come to your workout you need and I was just like my child's having surgery what the fuck I'm not coming <laughs> no totally <laughs> like it is what it is if I can't yeah. race I can't race I'll figure it out but like the, your child always comes first. And you it know, doesn't even have to be that extreme. Your child just always comes first. It's You mentioned balance, but it's not it, that's not attainable. Right. So it's priorities. Yes. You said at the beginning your priorities change, and it, they, it was an immediate change. You didn't even have to make the decision. Yep. You just knew. Yep. How cool is that? It's so cool. The minute they placed him on my chest, it was just never going to be the same. Okay, you got to tell us about your birth. Oh, it was horrible. Well, like, did you tell us about it? This is really cool. I know you've already relived it a long time oh, ago, no, but it's, it's fine. fun to hear. I was like, oh, I didn't take any classes. So I was like, oh, I endure pain for a living. Like, this is going to be no big deal. No ego involved yeah, oh, at, all. at all. And, like, and then the night that I went into labor... Adam was like, you know, your contractions are every two minutes apart. It's time to go. And I was like, really? Wait, let me flat iron my hair. And like, <laughs> I like flat iron my hair. Oh, what a waste. My face was like so puffy and my hair was ginormous by the time I was finally born. But oh my God. it was just, it was a pain that I was not expecting. Um, you know, I was like throwing up and I was like trying to walk but couldn't. And finally I was like, I need an epidural. I'm so uncomfortable. But then... You know, it starts to wear off, but then sometimes they can't give you another one. So it was just, it was so incredibly painful. And he crowned two and a half hours before he actually came out. They ended up having to 
they said it's time oh, to go horrible. to C-section. And I was like, no. And then they were like, well, his heart rate's starting to uh-huh. not do well. And I'm like, okay. And she said, well, we can do three pushes with basically like a toilet plunger. You know what I mean? So they were pulling him out? Yes. And so he came out. <laughs> and so, But he had a hickey on his head for like two months. Oh, my God. But he finally oh came God. out. And I was so shocked because I had seen his head for two and a half hours. But I just seen like he was totally cone shaped because he was stuck. Yeah, because you're right. So he comes out and his face just looks huge because I'm just expecting <laughs> it to be so tiny. But I mean, you know, he came out and we're like, is he okay? Is he okay? And then as soon as they let me hold him, it was just, I just kept saying he's perfect. He's perfect. He's perfect. And he was, he was just perfect. It's just amazing what they inherently know to do too. They're like, where's the boob? Yeah. <laughs> Give me the boob. <laughs> oh my God. Totally. It Ugh. was just. You know, like you said, it really is a miracle. And I know that if you haven't carried a child, it's like, oh, okay, it's a miracle. Blah, but it's, blah, yeah. Yeah, but it really is like society is so modern. Everything we do is so modern. And to like have to take the time to grow this thing and then to nurture it for years after, it yes. really is just like, it's crazy. Also, when we were pregnant with Colt, we did a test and we found out that he had a high risk for Down syndrome. And so that was at 12 weeks, and that was very stressful as well because Down syndrome is in my family, and I know it, it takes, it's a different life, right? And so I wanted to know, I wanted to be prepared. I'm like, I don't want when he's born me to go, oh my gosh, I need to find people to help me. I want to be ready. So that was at 12 weeks. We went at, in at 15 weeks to have the amniocentesis, and I, my sac still hadn't fused, which is also a potential syndrome or a symptom. Then we went at 18 weeks and it still wasn't fused. And at this point, I can feel him, right? Like there's no doubt that I'm loving this child. Right. But I just want to be ready. I want to know what our life is going to look like. And so we went in at 20 weeks. We're driving to the hospital. Adam and I are crying. We're crying because we're like, we just want our baby to be healthy. And you know what? It doesn't matter if he had a had downs or not. But it was just like not knowing was just so stressful oh my gosh yeah and of course we found out that he was perfectly healthy so that was another thing his birth was just so joyous because we had been worried that he wasn't going to be you know 100 percent healthy and he he obviously is oh he but, is yeah he's <laughs> i i love the moments that you capture on video <laughs> so when you guys get on and stalk kara on instagram i mean it's like you kind of get him when he's doing his weird dances <laughs> and like he's super excited and uh, he's he's just a, a really cool kid. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, it just brings so much joy into your life. You know, seeing things through their eyes, everything to him is so beautiful and so amazing. We go to like a crappy hotel and he's like, they have a TV, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's been so good for both Adam and I because in some sides of our life, we're kind of jaded and like pessimistic about certain things. And so it's just been so good for both of us to just like get a fresh glance at like everything. Everything is amazing and everything is so cool and it's fun. Yeah, bottle that up. That's yeah. important. You know, when you talk about, we're talking about kids, what kind of kid do you want Colt to be? What kind of person do you want him to grow up to be? What is the most like important value you want him to, you want to instill in him? The most important thing for me is that he has empathy for others and that he's kind. I don't care if he does well in school. I don't care if he finds a sport. I want him to be kind to other people and to never judge and to never, you know, just include, 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 include. And that's the most important thing to me is that he's just a good person towards others. I, You know, I couldn't agree with you more. I love that. 
Uh, it's funny, and um, Wilder goes to Bear Creek just down the street, and she came home the other day with this little handout, and it's like, here's what the kids are working on this week, compassion. <laughs> and I was like, how do you work on compassion? But like, yeah. it's really, it's very valid, and it's really true, and you can oh, teach yeah. that most traits. We we watched the movie Wonder, and we talked about it for a really long time, and then we watched a 2020 on a boy that had um, teacher Collins syndrome, and we watched it as a family and discussed it, and it's... It's important because the, I just life matters, and your the way you treat others matters. And I don't care if Colt never goes to college and you know, like I don't know, works at Pottery Retreats. I but I do care. That if would he's be cool. rude. You know, like if he's super super smart yeah. and becomes a doctor or lawyer, of course I'll be proud of him. But if he's rude to other people and steps on people to get there, I'd be so disappointed. You won't let him. No way. No, he'll get grounded a lot of times before <laughs> yes. that happens. Um, I'll let you know. And same here. If Wilder starts picking on Colt next yes, time, let she me sees know. Him. And vice versa, yeah. for sure. Um, well, I think too. What what you know? Part of this comes back around to this word confidence. When you're nice to people, when you're compassionate, you know, it helps build the world around you and creates mm-hmm. this beautiful world of confidence. And when people are confident, it's a happier place to live, right? It's interesting because I think. When you're an athlete, sometimes it's hard to be happy for your competitors or because you feel like it takes something away from you. But in like, I don't remember what year it was, like 2012 or 2013, I was just like, I'm going to do the best I can do and I'm going to like cheer everybody else on. I am going to retweet you. That doesn't hurt me to like give you props. I am going to root for this person and genuinely be happy for them when they achieve what they want. I'm not kidding. It changed my life because it's just like, a of course, I still wanted results and I still wanted things for myself, but it was like, it's okay that so-and-so won this or that so-and-so ran a time. That doesn't take away what I've accomplished. That's true. But it took me a really long time to get there. So but, how did you get there? You know, it's just like, I got tired of living in that world of obsessively checking results every day and obsessively seeing what people did and, and having this weird feeling of like, oh, I'm happy for them, but great, now I have to run faster. You know, just like, instead of focusing on my own goals in my own journey why am i like wasting all this energy and time on everybody else and you know if i see that someone ran fast i'm going to be excited for them but then that's it i'm not going to obsessively worry about it or think well well, now are people going to care about her more than they care about me and does this like devalue what i've done because it doesn't what you've done is what you've done and there can be a ton of inspirational people it doesn't have to be just like one person that's carrying the flag for American distance runners that's inspiring. There can be 50. There really can. But it it took me a long time to get there. You're so right. And I think part of this is like this concept of having pure intentions. Yeah. And getting rid of this attachment to outcome, Mm -hmm. right? Because what happens if you help someone else become awesome? Right. Right? Is that going to hurt you? Well, get rid of that. Right. There's no outcome. You can't even know what that could do. But in the end, all it really probably will do is make everybody yeah. you know, elevate. I just feel like it's made me appreciate the moments I had, and it's made me appreciate the gifts that I had. And it's allowed me to be a fan without jealousy. That's you know what I mean? It. Like yes. I can still be a fan of my sport without feeling like, I wish that had been me and which is a very real emotion when, when you've dedicated your whole life to a sport but I can actually enjoy it you right. know where I don't know that I could have done that four years ago I don't know that I could have watched other people achieve dreams that I had without that feeling of like oh 
But now I can watch it and, be, and I'm like, I know how hard she worked for that. That was awesome. Well, let's see. So empathy, important, right? Mm-hmm. To raise your child with. Did you experience, were you on the other side of that equation at times growing up? I mean, you've mentioned like body image issues. There's there's a lot of weight stuff and the scale that happens in the world of elite running mm-hmm. that's like kind of sucks. Yeah. You know, it's sort of reality, but it sucks and it can play with your mind. So, you know, were you on the other side of this equation ever? And how? what would you tell someone who's listening who's feeling less than awesome about Yeah, herself? I mean, I feel lucky with the situations I've been in, but I mean, I am the person that, Every, I've had four coaches. Every single coach I've ever had has told me I'm too big. And, you know, it's, I can like laugh about it, but I still don't like it. So like, I've definitely always had insecurities about my body that I'm too tall, I'm too big, I'm too muscular. Um, but I've just kind of learned to say, well, that's the way God made me, <laughs> you know? But it's easier said than done. I think like when I was in high school, I was a, one of those little girls that was like a phenom in eighth and ninth grade. And then I hit puberty and I slowed down and my little sister beat me. She was in eighth grade and I was a senior. Wait, she beat you? Yes. I didn't it was remember so that. like <laughs> weird, right? Like we were running this race. It's called the Roy Griak. It's a really big race in Minnesota. And they, they have a high school race. And so I'm leading the race. And then I hear this person behind me barely breathing. And I turn around, it's my little sister. I'm a senior and she's in eighth grade. And I'm running and I hear her. And finally, I just said, Kendall, just pass me. And she she was just gone. I mean, she beat me by like a minute. Whoa. <laughs> and it was so hard because I was I was the one that was a runner. I was the runner in the family. I'm the one that won the state titles. I'm the one that went to Foot Locker. And you know what I mean? Like that was my identity. And it was so weird because on the one hand, I didn't want her to feel bad. But on the other hand, I was like, what just happened? <laughs> like, right. what just happened? And like, I'm the one that's going off to college next year and hoping to get a scholarship. And, you know, it was it was so confusing. And my, I think my mom handled it really well. Like, she drove me home from that race. It was down in the city, so we had two and a half hour drive home. And she like took me shopping. We went to the mall and she was just like, it's okay to be upset, but you got to get it out because you don't want Kendall to feel that. And so like we went to the mall and I got some new clothes. And then by the time I got home, I was like ready to see Kendall and to tell her good job. And I mean, I had already told her good job, but I was like kind of stunned. How'd she get home? (laughs) She rode the bus home with the team. (laughs) Yeah, she was the one that won and I'm the one that got all the clothes, but that's okay. God, your mom was good. This is a lesson. No, my mom is great. This is a lesson for all of us. Yeah, I mean, my mom used to tell me it's okay to grieve when you've lost something that you really, really wanted. She would never be like, she would never be like, chin up, chin up. She would be like, you really, really wanted that. You thought about it for a really long time, worked really hard for it, and it didn't happen. She'd be like, take a day or two to grieve it, and then you got to move on. But she would always be like, you can take those days and be sad. And that that's, was has always been helpful for me because you do grieve things that you work so hard for. And when everyone's just like, well, you tried your best. You know, sometimes then it becomes like this pebble in your shoe. Like you need to let that stuff out. Sometimes yeah. it takes more than two days. Yeah. But it's, it's okay to be sad for those things. It is a loss. It's a dream that you had that will never come true, right? And so it's okay to like, you can't do it for every little experience, but I think there are times where it's okay to to be sad. Oh, it's absolutely. There's, um. we've been going for a while, but I still oh, have some more okay. questions. Are you cool on <laughs> yeah, time? Yeah, I'm totally fine. Um, I think 
here's what I want to do. We have there's so many directions we can go with this. We'll have to do an, a podcast like every six months. Okay, there's a lot of Kara <laughs> we need to get out in the world. Um, so, so I asked my little group some of these, you know, what they wanted to hear from you. So I'm going to go through some of these fun questions. You're okay. going to love some of them. So there's a there were a few people who were asking about uh, drugs and sports because mm-hmm. you've been you know pretty vocal and one of them used the term she said how how did she have the courage to report your former coach who's a running legend mm-hmm. to USADA like and I know that he meant a lot to you at the time that he was coaching you and probably still does but there's right and there's wrong so how did you gather that courage to speak out. Yeah, it was super hard for me because like we've already talked about, I I lost my father at a young age. So my coaches have always been male and they've always sort of filled that void for me of me trying to please them and me wanting their approval and me wanting to hear I'm proud of you or whatever. And so we were very, very close. Um, But I know what I saw. I left. That's why I left. Um, And it just was weighing on me. Um, I I think in, in the London Olympics, I saw them win medals. I saw at the Olympic trials, people not make the team that deserve to make the team. And it was just weighing on me. And honestly, we were in Colorado Springs. I was training for the Boston Marathon. And Oprah was was interviewing Lance Armstrong. And Adam is Adam and her nanny and Colt are there. Colt's just a baby, but he's like one. But um, I, I was just like, afterwards, it was... They broke away from Oprah, and then they were interviewing David Epstein, and then they were interviewing Travis Tigert. And I was like, you get me that guy, and I'll talk to you, Sada. Because we had talked about it before, but I was still employed by Nike, or they were still my, um, I was contracted by them. So if they found out, I could lose everything. Everything, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so Adam did it. He reached out to someone who reached out to someone, and the next thing you know, Travis Tigert's office is in Colorado Springs and it was a horrible experience. I was crying the whole time. It felt like the biggest betrayal, but I also felt free afterwards that I didn't have to carry around the secret anymore and that I didn't have to feel guilty every time I saw one of his athletes perform well or someone else miss a spot because one of his athletes, it just felt like, I don't know, it just felt like finally, but I, I said I would never say anything public about it ever. And just like bury it. And then when we lived, we moved here and, and, you know, reporters for years have harassed me about it, especially over in the UK. We know what happened. We know why you left. And I, I had just had my tagline, like my life changed and, you know, I had a baby and I needed more freedom or, you know, whatever I said. Um, but B, the BBC was going to be doing this, this story. It was happening. And David Epstein was also writing a piece with ProPublica in conjunction with it. And this was happening. And Adam was like, I'm going to be a part of it. And I was like, how can you be a part of it and me not be a part of it? So stressful. And he's like, no, you can't. You're still racing. So they flew out. They interviewed Adam. And then on their way to the airport, they came by our house just for a little bit because I wanted to meet them because I was like, I don't know if I trust them. And they left. And I told Adam I really liked them. And then I like prayed about it. And finally, I just said, if they'll come back, I'll talk. And they they were like, oh, you couldn't make up your mind while we were in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> but so they came back. And that once again, it was so hard. But I was just like, it's time for me to just tell the truth. And 
that was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through and continue to go through, but also one of the most empowering things because I don't have to lie about the situation anymore. I don't have to pretend like I'm happy when I see their athletes run fast or whatever, you know? It's just like, I, yeah, it's freed me a lot. Well, and I think, you know, a lot of us walk through life and we have situations where there's a gray area, Mm -hmm. right? There's black, there's white, and there's gray. And when you start to creep into the gray area, whether you're responsible or you're watching other people who are clearly in the gray, um, it can really change who you are and your perception of yourself. I didn't like being an enabler. Yeah. I felt like I was an enabler. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't like that about myself. I know why I left. I know what I saw. But I was still enabling it to continue on. Right. And I didn't I didn't like that. And so for people who aren't totally in the know, I mean, this has to do with using performance enhancing drugs mm-hmm. that are illegal and somehow some athletes are able to figure out how to get away with it through the drug testing system. Yeah. Yeah. Or using prohibited methods, things Got like it. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is a really formative thing for you. Because it sounds like you just said it was one of the most empowering things. Mm-hmm. Because you're feeling strong in who you are. I know what I think, and I can say it now, but it has been really hard. I mean, it's constant harassment. I can't get into meets like I used to be able to get into. There has been some, like, you know, just like some backs turn from friends. So it has been, you know, a lot of people say I did it for attention or I did it because I wanted to be relevant. And I'm like, it made our lives a living hell for a long time. And Mm -hmm. anytime someone writes an article, it comes back again. Um, But at the same time, I would never not do it. I have no regrets because I don't think I would have been as close to making the Olympic team as I was without like releasing that. It was just like carrying around this, someone else's guilt for years and years and years. Why am I doing this? You know, why am I day in, day out feeling horrible I, I didn't do anything, right. you know? So it was it really was just like this huge release of weight. And I felt like then I could really focus on myself again. Well, and think about it. You're an example to Colt, your son. Would you want him to turn a blind eye? Yeah, or do absolutely the right not. Thing? So we're yeah. talking about what's the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, someone else asked in my little group here, what's happened, or let's talk about the concept of like cattiness with other mm-hmm. women, right? So... I don't feel that a lot in the community I live. I feel like there's a lot of empowerment and everybody's trying to lift themselves up. But when you get to the top of like a dog eat dog world of sports, you know, that stuff happens. And and they had mentioned that maybe you had been subjected to some women not being so awesome towards you. And like, how do you handle that as a woman? And what advice do you have for other women to get through that, if, especially if that person has to be in your life in some way? Mm-hmm. I have experienced that quite a bit. And I'm not going to lie, like I've cried to Adam, like, I don't understand why this person or these people are so mean. And it's so frustrating when all I've ever done, I mean, I'm not perfect. Don't get me wrong. I, I say things that maybe I shouldn't every once in a while, and maybe I'm not 100% there as a friend, but I don't ever aim to hurt anyone. And it just would hurt my feelings, like I don't get it. Um, But I just, I don't know how you deal with it. (laughs) You just kind of like have to keep reminding yourself, like for me, it does always help to be the bigger person and to just still be nice to them and to just not, you know, be that way. 
and just keep searching for the people and surround yourself with the people who really do build you up. I mean, that's what I've always had, like my safe people. And then I have the people that I know are going to stab me in the back, but I'm still going to be nice to you. But then I'm going to go back to my safe people who are going to like love me no matter what, you know, it's hard. It because, is hard. People and you know can what? be catty. It's, that's just reality. And it's their own insecurities and it's maturity, right? You have, you're more mature now. You're almost 40. <laughs> I am. Welcome. Away. Yeah. Welcome to the fourth decade. Um, well, here's another good one then. If you weren't a runner, what would you be? That's a great question. I When I was in college, I wanted to be a psychologist, like a typical person who loses a loved one. I always wanted to work with kids that lost someone. I actually applied for a postgraduate scholarship and got it, but decided to give that, but also signed a Nike contract and decided to go with that instead. So I think I would probably do that. Um, but I don't know. There's so many things I love now. So who knows? Oh, my gosh. And how <laughs> cool is it? Because you may have an, a chance to explore some of those new things in the yeah. next decade. I feel like the the thing that I wanted to do when I was younger was help people deal with loss. And I feel like I'm doing that, but just in a really totally different framed way um, with like being there for women. I'm hoping to start working with girls this year. And I feel like I'm, I am doing that, but just not in the capacity that I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like, I'm a social worker or I'm a therapist and you come to me and I help you. And it's really just sort of like hugging people and running with people. It's amazing. (laughs) And you're different. Your podium retreat. So that's going to be in the fall, right? Yeah. It's going to be September 20th to the 23rd. Is it already sold out? I haven't announced it yet, so okay. no. <laughs> okay, well, we'll get the word out, too, when you okay. when you do. Is it going to be in Boulder? It is going to be in Boulder awesome. again. I feel like that we did it last year in Boulder, and it worked really, really well. There was a lot of local companies that wanted to help mm-hmm. out, and just so many people excited about it. So I felt like, how could I not pass that up again? Because we really had great community involvement. Awesome. I mean, okay, so this is going to be cool. All right, we're g- I got to do a few more of these questions because okay. everybody <laughs> wants to know. First of all, what's your cross training look like, or what's your most you know favorite part of cross training? So I used to cross train a ton when I ran for the Oregon Project. I would run in the morning and cross train in the afternoons, and I always loved the elliptical. That was my go-to. I don't really cross train that much anymore. I'm really just like a runner now. I yeah, do but- lift a lot though. I lift with Aaron. Carson at rally. So we'll and give her a little prop. Here. Yeah, She's I love working with her. <laughs> it's been so fun. I went to her last May and I just said, I feel like I lost all my athleticism. I used to play soccer. I used to dance. I can't jump on a box now, like a little tiny box. Can you help me? And so we started small. And then this fall when I took a break from running, I was like, I want you to really challenge me in here. If, if my butt and my arms get big, that's okay. Like, who cares? I'm not running that much. So it has been so fun. And now that I'm running more we're not we're not doing we've we've shifted what we're doing a little bit but i still meet her twice a week and i i mean i love my time in the gym well it's cool i've seen you and adam doing couples therapy on um, yeah (laughs) we go together we go together twice a week and it's i love being challenged yeah yeah well and i've seen some posts of yours where you're out skiing so like you might be doing activities you're not really considering cross training but they kind of are yeah i mean i ride my bike (laughs) with my son a lot i do like to ski at north boulder park when it snows but yeah i don't i guess maybe i've just redefined it because i used to think of cross training as like going getting on the machine and timing and timing out now i'm like oh it snowed i might go over north boulder for a half hour i'll be back so it's just different oh i love that i love it um okay so how do you push through the toughest parts of your training or a race? Are you a mantra person? Sometimes, yeah. I used to really rely on mantras. Um, 
for instance, like when I first broke onto the world scene and I had no confidence and I would be struggling in a workout, my mind would spiral like I knew it. I don't belong here. So I had this mantra of like, you belong here. You deserve to be here. And I would just tell, tell that to myself. And it's it kind of shifts with what I'm training for and what my doubts are. Like if I were to train for a marathon now, it would probably be you are not old. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can handle this. Um, but yeah, it kind of will like shift based on on what I'm training for and how I'm feeling and what my insecurities are. But I, I do like to pick a power word as well, whether it's courage, be courageous, courage, be courageous or be confident. I love the word courageous because you have to be courageous to put yourself on the line and running and to get through those hard sessions. And I like to say that to myself while I'm training because then on race day, when those doubts come in, I can say that word and it brings back so many emotions and so many feelings of empowerment of how I've trained. And it just like takes me to that place. I love the word courage. Man, and you know, for some people listening and depending on what you're going through, sometimes it's courageous just to get yourself out of bed in the morning. Absolutely. Yeah. So I love that word too. Um, I did see that your goals included running the way you want to run, mm-hmm. becoming a master's runner. Yes. So there's some evolution <laughs> happening here. Yes. And, um, and really promoting and getting people involved in, in the community aspect mm-hmm. of running. Yeah. This is I, different than it was it is 10 very years different. ago. E- even three years ago, it would have been like, win New York, place high at Boston, you know, it's, but it's very different now. I want to run what my body is capable of. And I don't know what that looks like. It, you know, I do have a marathon that I'm considering, but it's way later in the year. And, and my goals have just shifted. I, if you would have told me 10 years ago, as a master, you'll still be excited to run. I would have been like, you're crazy. I will have moved on. If I can't win, what's the point? And I no longer feel that way. Just because you can't win doesn't mean there's not value in the journey and in seeing what you can get out of yourself. That's been a huge mind shift for me since the Olympic trials. I used to think if you don't make it, it's not worth it. Well, that's crazy. Now I feel like that's crazy, Kara. What's wrong with you? Like, of course it's worth it. So anybody who doesn't have a chance to make an Olympic team, they just shouldn't be running. They shouldn't be training. (laughs) There'd be nobody running. Right. It's just like, what a crazy (laughs) mindset. But I think I was so ingrained in the competition aspect. And so now it's like, I want to see what I can do. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm kind of excited to enter a new category and see what that looks like. And then I just, last year I went and ran um, the Gary Bjorklund half marathon with grandma's marathon, which is the town where I grew up. Yeah. It was one of the highlights of my year. I was I had a hamstring injury. I wasn't really truly prepared. And I finished the race and I told Adam, I was like, that's the most fun I've had since the Olympic trials. And he was just like, that is awesome. So I wanted to be and it most of it is because of the the vibe around the race. It, like so many people are excited. It built the built the community up. And then I was able to go to the Akron Marathon this fall and it was the same thing. Just like the whole community being excited and handing out their water and like lining up early. And I I love seeing communities come together. It's incredible what a race through your through your city can do. Wow. So I wanna go do more of that. So the word fun is becoming more important. Yeah. Like, you know, I got into running because I had so much fun and I love the way it made me feel. And like anything in life, it's had its ebbs and flows. It's become a business at times. It's become super pressure filled at times. But I feel like I'm getting back into just the pure love of it. I mean, I naturally, I told my coaches, I don't know if I'm going to run anymore. And then I was like, hey, I've been running 80 miles a week. (laughs) You know, like I just naturally (laughs) got there because I just love it. And so 
but I want to keep it at that place where I'm loving it. And maybe yeah. that does mean racing and maybe it doesn't, but I want it to always be the love of it and never an expectation anymore. And you may surprise yourself with your results. Yeah. You never know. If I have them. If I don't you know. have them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You never know. Or maybe you're going to go out and run a fast 100. Well, I don't know. Or I, I definitely want to run an ultra. Way. But oh. only because I want to see if I can survive it. I guess I meant a 100 meter dash. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> that would be really sad, but okay. <laughs> I definitely can do that. But um, oh, you do want to run an ultra. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. I think, but not in the way that maybe some people think, like I want this new career, mostly just because... I started running. I've lived here for four years now. I went to college here. I never ran in the mountains. So I just started running in the mountains this year. And I love it. It's so peaceful. I know I grew up in Minnesota, which is not mountainous, but it reminds me of the way I used to run with my friends through creek beds and on these little tiny trails. And our shoes would be all muddy and we didn't care. And now I'm like, oh my gosh you know, the road is slightly slippery. Maybe we should wait till two when the, when the water's melted, you know, or whatever has dried up. So it just like reconnected me with all the things that I fell in love with running for. And so I definitely want to see, I want to experience that. Plus I think that community just seems really fun. Oh, <laughs> I, you're going to love it. I think I've never done an ultra. Uh, Tim's played around in that realm a little yeah. more than I have, but man, it's a whole new world. It's totally new world. Adam did trans Rockies and he had the best time and the people were so nice yeah and like we just went to the last day to watch him finish and went to the awards and stuff but everyone was like just so jazzed about it and everyone was treating everyone with such respect no matter if you were a winner or if you like just barely made the cutoff everyone was just super respectful to everyone and i loved that it's it's so true all right well we're gonna do one more question from our our fans which was oh here's a good one emily b does Kara get Botox? How is her skin so perfect? <laughs> no, I don't get Botox. <laughs> no, which is funny because I went to my dermatologist and I was like, can I ask you about something? I've always been really self-conscious about it. And I was talking about my eyelashes and she was like, oh, you want Botox? And I was like, no. <laughs> Botox in your eyelashes? No. How does that even work? I was talking about like, I always wanted to try oh. Latisse. Oh, that thing yeah. that makes them really long and yeah. full. Yeah. yeah. Um. I, my mom has great skin. I've always been a sunscreen person. I think that's the biggest thing, honestly, is like I have always been, not always, but since I like was 25. Okay, really, now really I can't stop staring at your skin. And it's like truly perfect. All right, we're going to get this on video. All right, Kara, I have kept you here so long and you have a life outside of doing these really high profile <laughs> podcast interviews. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you the last question that okay. I ask everybody who comes on the show, which is, if you could leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I always love the quote, be the change you wish to see in the world. It really has motivated me and inspired me to act the way I act and to do the things I do. And so be kind, but not just to other people, like be kind to yourself. Perfect. Couldn't end on a better note. Hey. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Okay, everyone. I realized that we run much more than my originally intended 36 minute and 38 second 5K for every episode. And this one is extra super long. But I honestly don't know how to cut some of my interviews short, especially this one with Kara. In fact, I really want to keep talking 
and wanted to keep talking to Kara because I still want to keep talking to her because I had a list of like 30 more questions and she was so cool. Like I think she would have answered them all, but we would have kept you out on like an ultra run today. Um, we covered so much ground. I'd love to know what your favorite parts were. So if you have a moment, please post on my Facebook page, like tag the podcast and post on the page or something and um, and let me know and let Kara know. I mean, if you have more questions, who knows, maybe she'll come over and answer them. She's pretty awesomely accessible. So definitely too, you're going to want her book that we talked about. Check it out. It's coming out on Amazon. You can pre-order it now. It's called Strong, A Runner's Guide to Increasing Confidence and Becoming the Best Version of You. It's a confidence journal. I just love that. So there's a link. You can pre-order it now for 20 bucks and you'll get it in the summer just in time for marathon season. And look, she didn't even ask me to do that, but I just like her so much. I want to get the word out about all these cool things she's doing. So here's the deal. I'm just going to leave you with her final nugget, which is something that I think you will all have felt and embraced throughout this entire episode. Be kind, not just to other people. Be kind to yourself. There you go. Straight from Kara and recycled through me. (laughs) Um, Before we go, don't forget to check out healthiq.com backslash RTW to see if you qualify for better rates on life insurance as a healthy, fitness-focused person. I just got some life insurance, and it really is a relief when you finally just do it. All right, everyone, on that note, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I will see you next week.